You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Our Sojourn. In this series, we'll take stock of who we are as a church and who God is forming us to become in 2022. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Uh, Yeah, you know, that's what happens when you get older, just standing there and lose track of time and just my dad chatting in the middle of the audience. Uh, they don't care. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. My name's Jonah. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and uh, thanks for being here and uh, being a part of this with us. Uh, our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, build them up as his church, send them to follow him in his world, whatever whatever that might mean. And over these next couple of weeks, we, we're in the series. Do we, we got artwork? Yep. Called. If you notice creatively, Sojourn has the word our in the middle of it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we didn't plan that. That's just the way language works sometimes. Um, and so over these next few weeks, uh, we're doing a series called Our Sojourn. We did this several years ago after we made some big organizational changes in the church, and we're doing that again because there are some organizational shifts happening in the church uh, that we're going to talk through over these next three weeks. Um, when, when I was in second grade, I'm not in second grade any longer, uh, when I, but when I was in second grade... Uh, I remember I had a very set coming home from school routine, and uh, what, so I would get home from school, and my mom would have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich waiting for me, uh, a warm blanket, and then my favorite cartoon that happened to be on right when I was getting home from school. So I'd come home from school, peanut butter jelly sandwich, blankie, it's quite called it blankie, and my cartoon. Wonderful, loved it, sometimes make it up and get some applesauce, whatever. It's fantastic. Very happy, sweet, vivid memories for me. That's a good mom. Grateful for those experiences. Amen. My mom's in here. Way to go, Grammy. Way to go. Way to go. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm 39 years old now, okay? Uh, I'm married. I have three children. I own a house. (laughs) I preach here most Sundays. Uh, After I'm done preaching, I walk home. I live really close to here, and I walk home. Uh, Now, what would you all think if I told you that when I get done preaching, I walk home and my mother meets me at the door with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with the edges cuts off, wraps a blanket around my shoulders, she's got Netflix ready on my TV, and sits down and says, your cartoon's ready, sweetie. Hits a little different, right? It hits a little different at 39 than it does at eight or nine. It would seem off. It's the same actions, but a different stage in life. My mom treats me differently as a grown man who's married with children than she treated me when I was eight years old. And I hope that's true for you, too, if your parents are still alive. I hope your parents treat you differently in middle age and in your later years, whatever, than they did when you were a child. Um, if If you're a parent, one of the great challenges that you'll face is learning that as your kids grow, your parenting needs to grow, too. You can't parent your young children the same way that you parent your older children. The fact that my mom doesn't meet me at the door with a PB&J doesn't mean that she is now a bad mother. And it doesn't mean she was a bad mom then. It simply means that we've both matured. And maturity requires new behaviors to meet new challenges. To make a shift in what you do, to make a shift in what we do, is a sign of maturity and of health to grow, to change, to adapt, to shift, are indications of maturity and of health. 
Philippians 3, 10 through 11 says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul speaking to a church. And if you look at the life of Paul, you'll see that he holds so much loosely. Sometimes in his ministry, here's what I mean. There's very few things that Paul would say, I have to do this. It must be this way. So sometimes you'll see him working a day job. And other times his income is supported by the giving of local churches. You never hear him say, I must be paid by the church or I must work a day job. And sometimes churches today get in fights like, no, only past pastors must be bivocational. No, pastors must be full time. You don't see Paul arguing over that kind of stuff. Sometimes he serves and it's in the midst of great joy. And sometimes it meant serving in the midst of great suffering. Sometimes Paul preached in gorgeous places to rapt audiences, and sometimes Paul wrote letters chained in prison. For Paul, it meant one way or another, he was going to follow Christ. He was going to know Jesus. He was going to experience the resurrection from the dead. That was his singular goal. That that was his singular mission, to know and be known by Jesus. To another church, he described his ministry this way. This is in Colossians chapter 1. He said, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To know Jesus, he told other people about Jesus. And did you, is that still up there? Put it back up. Yeah. Do you see the... uh, Well, that's a different translation. Where it says perfect, other translations will say mature. For Paul, there was this idea. You don't see this in the Old Testament, the language of baby baby Jewish people and mature Jewish people. You were either in the covenant or you were out of the covenant. You were clean or you were unclean. And then you get to the New Testament, and Paul starts talking about baby Christians and mature Christians. He saw his ministry as helping people on this developmental journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. If you, if you want to know Jesus and can recognize that life is a journey towards maturity, we can hold so many things loosely. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about ways we are maturing as a church. It's happening now. And also ways that we need to mature as a church. We, we want to keep as a church Jesus as our first love. Not any system or program or structure. If you go back and look at Colossians chapter 1, Paul's goal wasn't to maintain some ministry program of the church. There wasn't some idea or this thing other than Jesus. Um, We recognize that who we are as a church today, so our church recently celebrated our 10-year anniversary as a church, and Sojourn as a whole, you know, these churches around Louisville were, were more than 20 years at this point. Who we are as Sojourn New Albany today in the year of our Lord, 2022, is not the same. It's just not the same as the teenagers who started this church 20 years ago in the highlands of Louisville. These kids who started this church we now call Sojourn, mostly teenagers, uh, by and large, they felt out of place at their parents' churches, or they didn't go to church at all. In those early days, phrases you would have heard often as the overchurched and the underchurched. 
our church was a church for the overchurched and the underchurched. What are the overchurched people? Those are the ones who've been shoulded to death. Do you know what that means? You've been shoulded to death. What's it mean to be a Christian? You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should wear this. You should listen to this. You should vote this way. You should talk this way. You should, 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 should. And they just got shoulded to death, just exhausted and felt trapped and pressure. And so they bailed. They, they didn't want to be a part of it. Uh, the underchurched were the people who shouldn't go to church because they did all of the things that Christians shouldn't do. And so what that combined to create was basically, in the early days, sojourn was people who had tattoos and attitudes. That was just kind of the general vibe of the church. People who were a little punk rockish in the sense of like, don't tell me what to do and I don't fit in. We were young, we were angsty, we were broke, but we were hungry to know Jesus and experience the resurrection in him. Um, many of those people who started Sojourn 20 years ago are still here. Uh, some of them are here. Some of them are probably in this room right now. Um, but, and they still have their tattoos, right? Those don't go away. And lots of us still have our attitudes. Uh, but we also have 20 years more of life. And we also have new humans around us called children. We also have these other things called jobs and you know, that Bible study that began in the highlands of Louisville has now grown into six churches, stretching from South Louisville to New Albany all the way up into Oldham County. Um, as a church, to move forward in maturity, we have to recognize that we are today something different than who we were in the year 2000. What do some of those differences look like? Or maybe what are, what are some of the fruit of that? Um, one way I think we experience a need for maturity or something that I see in our church is that I, I, think, um, I think we expect far too much of our pastors, to put it frankly. Um, I was speaking with a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, he's in his mid-70s. He was a pastor for 30 years. And I asked him, I said, when you were a pastor, did you have to be an expert to have an authoritative opinion in finances, organizational management, parenting, politics, epidemiology, sociology, history. I mean, were you the definitive opinion on everything? And he just shook his head at me and he was like, listen, I helped people understand the Bible and see God in their life. And that was about it. How did we get here? How did we get here to this place where every pastor I know in this church and, you know, through Harbor Network, that it's another beautiful thing that we've helped start that's launched hundreds of churches across our country. Literally every pastor I know feels the pressure to be an expert and have an authoritative opinion in everything. And like, watch the way pastors talk on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, don't get on it. But if you are on Twitter, Pastors have an opinion about everything, and they act like they know everything about how did we, how did we get there? Um, I can only speak to us. I'm not, I'm not a sociologist, and I haven't studied religion across the United States or the history of religion. For us at Sojourn, remember the people that I said came, the, the early culture and DNA, those people who were over-churched or under-churched, most of the men and women that started Sojourn did not have spiritual fathers and mothers in the sense of someone who went before us and said, this is, this is the way to go. Some of us, based on our hurt and our wounds, didn't want spiritual fathers and mothers. We, did, we didn't want to be told what to do. 
Most of us came from situations where we were never given clear instructions on how to manage all of this life. And, and most of us, not every one of us, so I'm not trying to paint with too broad of a brush, but most of us didn't want to ask for help. And if someone offered to help, we, we didn't want to hear it. And, and on the flip side of that, I'm not trying to say it's you, it's you people, it's your fault. On the flip side of this, we had a lot of pastors that wanted to be seen and wanted to be experts in everything. They wanted that sense of authority and power and position. Um, I don't think in the early days we had much clarity on what it meant to be a pastor or the calling of a pastor. Uh, many, many of our pastors, and this is, you know, here at Sojourn historically and also, you know, kind of broader evangelicalism, uh, just got mired in culture wars. Um, we looked to politics for power. We wanted bigness. We mistook the movement of God with splashy, showy events. So if God was there, it had to be big. It had to be impressive. It had to have, draw huge numbers. Um, this swirled and in, in combined, I'm, I'm being a bit reductionistic here, but I, I really think this is swirled and combined for us where pastors think far too much of themselves today and congregations expect far too much of our pastors. I'm, I'm convinced this is true of us. Um, so, each of our pastors here at Sojourn New Albany have genuine expertise in certain fields. I mean, we have genuine expertise in certain fields. Amidst the pastoral team that we have, some of them are really good at one thing, and other pastors aren't good at all at that thing. Uh, some people know a lot about this thing over here, and other people know next to nothing about that thing over here. Uh, there's a common denominator, though there's a place where each one of your pastors are uniquely equipped to serve you and to serve Christ's church. So in other words, what are, th what are the things that pastors are supposed to do or that we know for sure we can do here? One of them is we can pray for you and we can pray with you. Um, if you want to learn how to pray, if you need something prayed for, if you desire someone to pray for you, that's something that your pastors and any pastor is equipped to do, is skilled to do, is, is happy and eager to do. Uh, your pastors can help you understand the Bible, can't understand it for you, but we can teach you the scriptures and help you understand the scriptures. So ministry of word and prayer is a way to think about that. We can help you pray. We can help you read the Bible. And then the, the third thing that comes to mind that we're all equipped to do as your pastors is we can help you see God's nearness in your life, um, which is different than fixing what's going on in your life. You know, we, I can't fix what's going on with your kid or with your marriage or with your, I can't fix those things for you. But the pastors can slow down and help you see that God is still with you, that he's near to you. And it's our conviction that in the presence of God, we experience peace, we experience power, all, all these wonderful promises in the scripture. So what are our pastors uniquely equipped to do? Pray for you and with you. Help you understand the scriptures. Help you see God's nearness in your life. And at the heart of it, that's what we want to do. That's what pastors want to do. And that's what we're called to do. The further we get from that, the further we get from what we uniquely do. Which, again, doesn't mean that some pastors won't have some unique expertise in other areas. But that's the core of what we do. Some of the fruit of our need to mature in this way, both as pastors and the congregation, um, it's, this is revealed in a survey that we sent out a couple of months ago in the fall. We sent a survey out to everybody and got a bunch of responses. These were questions that we asked to kind of understand more of what we value as people um, and 
and what we're doing, what we're up to when it comes to trying to mature as Christians. It was anonymous. A bunch of people responded. We think it's probably a pretty accurate indication. Some of it was super encouraging. 77% of us almost always gather on a Sunday. And I think that means either here or they're watching at home on Facebook. Uh, that's wonderful. Um, our family gathers consistently. And our family sees that being together is really valuable, which is important because it is. If you have a member of your family that never wants to come around, there's something strange there. Uh, 80% of us give regularly to support the work of this church. 80% of us are giving financially to support the church. That's, it's in, that's incredible. Um, we see across our people a real desire to be here, to invest here, um, to commit to being here. It's, it's just fantastic. Uh, we are here on Sundays, and we are largely bought in together. Those statistics, is, as far as I understand, are pretty unusual amongst churches, to have nearly 80% say, I gather basically every Sunday, and 80% say, and I give to support the work of this church. Like I'm, That makes me so proud to be here and to be one of the pastors. Um, we also learned that half of our church doesn't serve in any way, which is a little bit surprising when you think about how many people it takes to pull off what we do every Sunday. It takes a lot of people to pull off what we do every Sunday, but half of us don't serve in any way. Um, only 22% of us read the Bible every day. Uh, 25% of us say they rarely read the Bible at all. What's that mean? Most of us just don't read the Bible. The majority of our families don't have any kind of devotional time together, which, which means the majority of our families aren't like reading the Bible at all or praying together or singing or just any, any kind of corporate family devotional experience. Most of us aren't doing that. 80% of us, though, said those things uh, are very important to do regularly, right, at the highest level of importance, to read the Bible regularly, pray regularly, to have family devotional regularly. So what does it mean if the vast majority of us say this is very important to do, and also the vast majority of us do not do it? When I look at this combined in kind of the history of our church, I, I suspect that most of us are expecting someone else to do Christianity for us. I don't think everyone is doing this, but I think a lot of us are doing this. To put it maybe a little bit differently, too many of us have outsourced our Christianity. What does this look like? I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm going to go to a church with the preacher that I like the best, and he will do the Bible for me. I'm not going to invest in my children at all. I'm going to go to the church with the best kids program and let the kids workers disciple my children for me. Um, and I just want to be really clear. This is all of our faults. It's on the pastors as much as the congregation. I'm not trying to con condemn or, or critique anything as much as be able to observe, to honestly assess where are we and, and where do we need to grow. So not blaming anyone, not mad at anyone, but looking at these realities. And, and I'm saying to myself, and the pastors are saying to each other as we look at our church, it's just time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Um, let me, I'll keep pressing on this a little bit. Uh, the primary way that we've had to serve in our church, to study the Bible, and to pray together has been community groups. Y'all remember community groups? It used to be something we talked about all the time, um, and we don't really talk about it anymore. Uh, community groups for a long time at Sojourn were amazing, uh, life-changing, wonderful experiences for a lot of people. Five years ago, we had around 20 community groups, hundreds of people involved in community groups. Uh, today, we have three. Um, 
the three that we have remaining, are they're, they're good. They're beautiful. There's important, significant work going on there. I'm not in any way saying community groups are bad or sinful or, or anything like that. Um, what, what we've learned is in community groups are dying before COVID, so let's not blame this on the pandemic either. Um, we've learned that for many people, community group has become a burden and it hasn't been a, a blessing. Um, you could teach a Bible study, lead a prayer meeting, do service projects in your neighborhood and go through all the training to be a counselor, which previously community group leaders, you had to lead the Bible study, you had to be an administrative person, you had to do neighborhood missions and plan events and do any of the counseling that came up in your community groups. You could do all of that when you were single, when you had a part-time job and you had no children. Um, but we've grown up. Uh, for many people, not everyone, but for many people, it's unrealistic to expect parents with young children to do all of this during bedtime while 30 adults are waiting in their living room. And, and so now, as we've talked about community group over the years, the, the fact of the matter is nobody wants to lead one. And the people who are leading them leave them exhausted and limping and discouraged. Um, are we killing community groups? You know, if you were here in the early days, we had a Kill Your TV Sunday where we brought your, because TVs are poisoned and instruments of Satan. And so we brought TVs into the parking lot. We smashed them with bowling balls and got in trouble with local law enforcement. No, we're, just go ask somebody about that story sometime. I told you we were angsty, okay? All the adults are shaking their head and the kids are like, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not killing community groups. We're not going to have a Kill Your Group Sunday where we all, we're not killing community groups. We're just trying to be honest that community groups aren't working like they have been. We have to grow up here. We have to create new avenues to read the Bible together, to pray together, and fellowship together. And historically at Sojourn, we've looked to a leader to do this for us. Um, maybe a pastor, maybe a community group leader. Uh, unfortunately, oftentimes a podcast preacher or an author or a YouTube personality. Um, historically, we've expected too much of our pastors and I think this has led to us, led to each of us now. I'm speaking as a participant in the congregation and not just as a pastor. I think this has led each of us to expect too little of one another. So we have an elevated view of our pastors and leaders, and we have a, maybe a diminished view of one another. And so I want to be really clear here. Uh, a church is not a brand or a building. The church is a household. It's a family. It's a people. One of the oldest pictures we have of the congregation at Sojourn is everyone in the parking lot of our first building standing together in the outline of a church building. And the picture was taken down to show that the church is a people. We are a family. We're not a building. We're not a brand. We're not a movement. Um, you've heard for years, this is a tagline we've said for years, our best program is our people. Uh, our best strategy for fulfilling our mission is men and women being Christians, living like Christians. Um, our mission has always been about people because God's mission is about people. In, in a letter to another church, Paul puts together his core passions of knowing Jesus and helping people mature by giving us the clearest job description of pastors that we have. The New Testament says a fair bit about who the kind of people pastors are supposed to be, and it says, if you're a pastor, discouragingly little about what pastors are actually supposed to be doing day in and day out. So in Ephesians 4, he says, Jesus gave the church pastors to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So as we move forward together as a church, this church cannot be about any one pastor or any group of pastors or, or any stunning, exciting ministry. This, this church is us. It must become our sojourn in ways that it hasn't been before, which means together we have to stop outsourcing our Christianity. It, it, it must become our sojourn in ways that it hasn't before. When I said before that I think we expect too little of one another, I mean we see ourselves too low on the org chart, or we think that we have too little to offer. This is our sojourn, and this church must become the work of these people in ways that it hasn't historically. And I'm I'm in no way saying what's gone before us is bad or wrong or sinful, any more than I was trying to say that my mom making me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches was bad or wrong or sinful when I was in second grade. Um, For any of you people who've been here for any length of time, 10 plus years, like, have you stepped back and considered what we have witnessed? We've witnessed thousands of people get baptized, um, that we're about to see somebody get baptized in a few minutes. And isn't there a part, if you've been around Sojourn for a while, that you still like baptisms, but they feel normal? Anybody doesn't feel a little bit normal watching people get baptized or it's not like, oh my gosh, what happened? We're like, cool, baptisms. That's not normal. It's it's not normal to be a part of a church for 20 years that consistently baptizes people. It's not normal to be part of a church that sees hundreds of churches started across the country, six locations, a diversified leadership. Like, it's unbelievable what we've witnessed. I was texting with Daniel Wainwright this morning while I was drinking coffee and wearing the socks I bought from France, saying, thinking to you, Pastor, what do you, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Like we've, we have missionaries around the world right now. It's unbelievable what we've done. We had a whole night celebrating it recently. So to say that it's time for us to mature and change and grow up is no way to condemn what's gone before us. These next coming weeks, and, and really throughout this next six to 12 months, we're going to be talk about, talking about ways that we're growing up as a church. Some of them will be really practical. Um, we're bringing all of our administrative services here locally rather than sharing them across the churches. That's one of the ways that, that we're, we're growing up. It made sense to do that from where we are all developmentally over the years, but now we've graduated college, we're out of the house, and so it's time for us to handle our own finances. We're maturing, we're growing up. Some of those changes are happening. Um, I'll be sharing other things that we're real excited about over the next two weeks. Um, and next week, we're gonna talk about something that has not changed at all, and that is our mission to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as Christ's church, and to send them into the world. That is who we are. That is what our sojourn will be, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, build them up as his church, and send each other to follow him into the world. If that remains the center for us, if Christ remains our first love, all of these other things we can hold loosely, be them programs or strategies. And so every week we come back to the center that is Jesus and his gospel to remember who we are and what we are to do. And we do that by calling our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He blessed it. He thanked God for it and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. 
In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Um, it's your new relationship with God, and it's sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this and remember what I have done for you. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.